And it is now 3.30 here at KPFA 94.1 FM in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Cover to Cover Open Book. This is Nina Serrano for Cover to Cover Open Book, the Poet to Poet series. My guest today is activist, singer, songwriter, music producer, Barbara Dane. I recently celebrated her 90th birthday with her, and she's come today to read to us for a work in progress, her autobiography, long-awaited, Welcome, Barbara Dane. Nina, Nina Serrano, my favorite poet. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm proud of that, that you would invite me. Really Well, it's been very exciting news to hear that you're writing a book, and especially one about your exciting life. I was hoping you would share some of that with us today, the summary. Well, what I decided to do, you know, I've already, I've already got a, twice as many words in the computer as they could possibly put into a book. In other words, I have about 300,000 words in there already, and I'm only up to 1972. So... So I decided instead of reading you bits from the book, I'd re- read you kind of a, a summary of my life, and and you'll get an idea of what the scope of the book is. Hopefully, it'll it'll uh, it'll make you want to read the book. It's going to be a lot to read. Well, all right, here I go. Take a good look at me now at ninety, and try to imagine that I was once a girl of eighteen, growing up in Detroit, Michigan then one of the most ethnically mixed and racially restricted cities in the USA. It was 1945. World War II had just ended with the first demonstration of America's capacity to destroy 200,000 people within minutes. Everyone seemed to understand that the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki marked a change in everything. But what frightened me most was my country's willingness to commit such horrors. From that time on, I began to take life very seriously. My father came from an Arkansas town, even today known as Klan country, and my mother from the next town over. My mother respected FDR, but my dad called him Rosenfeld and listened to Father Coughlin's anti-Semitic tirades on the radio every Sunday. If you were a so-called white Christian and wanted to know any Jews or black people in Detroit in those days, you had to go out and find some. When I discovered that these friends were uncomfortable coming into my neighborhood, I quit working at my dad's drugstore, packed up overnight, and left home. I made my way downtown just off Cadillac Square and put down 50 cents to get my Communist Party card. I also joined the AYD, American Youth for Democracy. These were the only groups I'd seen so far who were seriously working for the things I believed had to be changed. Not long after that, I noticed I was being tracked by the Detroit Red Squad. And it's gone on ever since. A racially mixed dozen of us formed a test group to challenge the discriminatory policies of the cafe at the Barlam Hotel on the edge of Cadillac Square. 
where most the major union rallies of the 40s were often held. True to form, the hotel owner threw us out, personally kicking at us as we fled down his marble staircase. But we were back in force next Saturday, picketing outside with dozens of others from unions and community groups who also wanted to see Michigan's Equal Accommodations Act enforced. We kept it up for several weeks, and that was where I began to see what I could do with my voice, a strong one that I could pitch out over the crowd to help them march together and keep up their spirit. on my love of singing for years now, training with a voice teacher when I could. I loved to sit in with amateur jazz combos, even won the Miss Dollface contest at the big movie palace downtown. But someone to watch over me wasn't my idea of a plan for life either. But now I had found a purpose. I saw that songs could actually move people, could become useful tools in uniting people in that mighty effort we were all going to have to make if we hoped to change the world. About that time, Pete Seeger came to town. He'd asked if he could show me the People Songs Bulletin, meant to help draw some of the singers around the country together into a network explaining that it would also be a way of distributing new songs as they arose from the battles for higher wages, for price controls, and into the draft, opposition to racism, all these issues driving people to the streets in this post-war era. He, by the way, had just gotten out of the army, so he was all fired up with this. I was eager to be part of all this, and my party club actually chipped in to buy me a guitar. 
along with a book that showed where to put your fingers on small black dots to achieve a chord. <laughs> it would be two years plus a trip to Europe and a move to California before I would actually have someone show me that you could move your fingers off the dots and break the strums with finger picking. <laughs> Young people my age all over the world were becoming adults after a lifetime of war. In 1947, my generation was hungering for ways of outlawing nukes, building friendly relations between young people of both the capitalist and socialist countries, doing whatever it would take to ensure a peaceful future. The World Federation of Democratic Youth was founded in England, and a call was sent out across the globe inviting people to gather in Prague for a youth festival of peace. For the first time in history, young people from every sort of political ideology or religion from 63 different nations came together and adapted a pledge that ends with this. We have come to confirm the unity of all youth, to salute our comrades who have died, and to pledge our word that skillful hands, keen brains, and young enthusiasm shall never more be wasted on war. Well, the U.S. State Department had at first offered to help with transporting the hundreds of American kids who were signing up to go, including some of the top modern dancers in New York, several of Juilliard's star students, and a full professional production of Arthur Miller's hit anti-war play, All My Sons. Even Eleanor Roosevelt began promoting the idea. Just about then, the Cold War operators began to dominate U.S. politics, and all support was withdrawn. Finally, only 200 were able to make it, scraping up the means to do it from our families and friends. And I was one of those crazies determined to go. Oh, yeah, I knew there were a few FBI plants among us but by then, but I didn't care. This was the opportunity of a lifetime. Meet my counterparts and confirm my belief that a better world would be possible. Coming back to Detroit with my head full of songs and a tangle of languages and memories of dancing in the streets of Prague until daybreak, I realized it was time for some planning. My hometown had become so jammed with newly formed post-war families that it was impossible to find a place to live. I was married by now, and Rolf's parents in L.A. insisted we would have no problem if we moved west. There, I immediately contacted the People Songs group, which included Malvina Reynolds, a schoolteacher who had written some songs out of her reality. Like, uh, love is something if you give it away, give it away, give it away. Oh, love, something if you give it away, you end up having more. Yeah, we found a home in L.A. all right, but no jobs at all. My mom had just moved to San Francisco and offered us a port in the storm, so we headed north. By now I had a baby boy and was starting to think about how to keep singing and somehow make a living, too. I went to work in the City of Paris department store, but took any chance to enter the various contests that came up in that pre-American Idol era, hoping to make some sort of connection for paid singing. I kept winning them, but maybe because it was rare to find a girl who could sing and play the guitar at the same time. It's uh, simplistic as my guitar playing was, but nothing paid until I won Miss U.S. Television. To get into the running, you had to walk across the stage in a strapless bathing suit and high heels before you could put on a dress and sing your song. 
I swallowed my pride, but I won the prize. A 16-week TV series on KGO, which I called Folksville USA, since it was the first folk song program anywhere on TV. I took home a helpful $16 a week. Bit by bit, I became known around town, at first as a super purist folk singer, only deviating from those old obscure songs to lead the rabble-rousers I had brought from Detroit. I was no longer in the Communist Party, through no plan of my own, but they called me regularly anyway, sing at benefits and rallies. About then a few venues we called coffee houses opened, which drew other folk singers to the area. But San Francisco was also enjoying a huge love affair with traditional jazz at the time. And by luck, I was invited to sing with Bob Mielke's Bearcats, where I discovered something wonderful. That kind of band proved to be the perfect demonstration of how a democracy should work. First, the players stated the proposition together. Then each stepped forward to make his own statement, supported creatively by the rest. In the end, all joined in glorious group improvisation, ending perfectly together in solid agreement. I had to become part of this music, too. I began to learn about those great women who pioneered the classic blues. People like Bessie Smith, Ida Cox, and Ma Rainey, and discovered I could sing their songs pretty well. At least people began to pay me for this. But the biggest payoff was the kind of power I learned from these women, their insistence on being whoever they were, without conforming to any man's design. They wrote a lot of their own material, seemed to sail through the world on a tide of self-acceptance that was thrilling. Good morning, blues. Blues, blues, how do you do? Good morning, blues. Oh, blues, blues, how do you do? Looking pretty good. Well, I'm feeling mighty well. But I wanna know, good partner, how are you? Let me tell you what happened to me last night. I laid down last night and I was rolling from side to side. Oh, I laid down last night. I was rolling from side to side. Out. 
By this time, I had another son and a daughter, making three mouths to feed, plus a beautiful new husband who was very supportive of my singing work, but not much of a breadwinner. At least he was willing to handle a good bit of the child care and never tried to tell me what I couldn't do, even when he thought I was nuts to try it. The struggle for an end to Jim Crow and for civil rights was heating up everywhere, and so I took the children to paint picket signs and walk together in front of the Woolworth 5 and 10 cent store or to a rally in the park as often as possible. I wanted them to absorb the meaning of this movement and also to learn the power of fighting together for something which might lead to a better life, a less fearful world, to see how music could play a role in all of it. I began to get calls from Chicago to sing those classic blues. Chicago. Many times I drove across country in my third-hand VW ragtop to the Gate of Horn, where I drafted Memphis Slim, Little Brother Montgomery, and Willie Dixon for my backup Got to know some of the old-timers, like Mommy Yancey, Tampa Red, and slightly younger ones like Muddy Waters and Otis Spann. Often when I showed up in their haunts, a white girl on her own late at night, it was assumed that I was there for uh, business, so I learned to walk right, accept no drinks or uninvited touches, to show in every way that I was there strictly as a musician, to listen and to learn. Always working my brain Now my brain Is always working my brain My brain is always working Old as dirt and still ain't shirking My brain just keeps on working My brain Well my brain Keeps on ticking my brain My brain It keeps on ticking my brain My brain It keeps on ticking As long as I'm alive and kicking It's my brain Keep on ticking my brain Oh, but my brain sometimes get lazy, my brain. My brain sometimes get lazy, my brain. My brain sometimes get lazy, then some hypocrite drive me crazy, it's my brain. Brain can't stand no liars, my brain. I said my brain can't stand no liars, my brain. My brain can't stand no liars, right and wrong are not for hire. My brain can't stand no liars, my brain. My brain, my brain sure is getting pounded. My brain, now my brain is getting pounded. Some of these days I'm just plain dumbfounded, and my brain keeps on getting pounded. My brain. Some black folks objected that I was pushing some old tired music from the what they call the handkerchief head days. 
or thought I might be trying to steal something, but most were welcoming and seemed proud to know that someone born outside their culture thought enough of it to become so deeply involved. Pops Foster, the great bassist, said he could see how I respected the history and the sources and told me to never stop singing the blues. Little brother Montgomery even took the trouble to tape a lot of songs that he'd actually played with Bessie Smith so that I could learn them. Well, the fact is that simply being in the spotlight can take a lot of energy by itself. In the shadow, there's more space to think about other things. In the shadow, there can be more room to maneuver. By now, I had moved to New York to be with Erwin Silber, a founder of Sing Out magazine, who became my loving partner for the next 43 years. One of the first things we did together was to organize the Sing-In for Peace at Carnegie Hall in 1965, the earliest large-scale cultural protest against the Vietnam War. In just over a month, we gathered 60 singers and poets who came to New York on their own dime, knowing they would only do one song each. But the great Fannie Lou Hamer sang, as did Bernice Regan with the Freedom Singers, and SNCC leader Bob Moses was right there in the audience. In spite of a newspaper strike, we managed to pack Carnegie Hall twice that night. About 7,000 tickets were sold, ending with a candlelight march down to the village as dawn was breaking. Well, my time is about to run out, Nina, so I'll just mention a few highlights of the next 50 years. Okay. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Oh. During those Vietnam War days, I sang at every single Washington rally and many more around the country. Irwin and I collected and published the Vietnam Songbook, starting with the pacifist songs through GI resistance songs, ending with the fighting song of the Vietnamese National Liberation Front. When a let-up in the bombing permitted, we traveled to Vietnam, where I gave a concert along with Pham Thuy Yen, the man who wrote Play Your Guitars in Washington, American Friends. I sang in Rome and Florence for the Festa dell'Unità and in many small towns for the movement to preserve Italian working-class culture. While Franco was still alive, I made a clandestine tour in Spain organized by the Workers' Commissions, a network that came out of the Spanish Civil War. I became the first singer to defy the U.S.-Cuba travel ban, making a month-long tour of the country, after which I placed my 14-year-old son, Pablo Menendez, in Havana's Music and Art School with a scholarship from Fidel himself. Erwin Silver and I founded Paradon Records on a shoestring, producing 50 albums, all based on the liberation movements of the 70s, later donating the label to the Folkways Smithsonian Catalog. And by the way, you can go there to their website and sample all of that 50 records and all those incredible songs and speeches. I disappeared into the anti-war GI movement for close to five years, taking me to Japan, Okinawa, the Philippines, England, and all over the USA. Pablo often traveled with me. With his musical skills and his anti-war commitment, we made a great team. Looking back over 90 years of raising my voice, raising my children, raising some eyebrows, 
and raising hell wherever possible. The wisdom I draw is that when the times call for action, as they do today more than ever, the best way to survive is to jump right in. You can't run, you can't hide, so you may as well be a player. No resources? Reach out, they're there. You're not the only one to see the needs as well as the danger of doing nothing. The only safety is in numbers. Do not attempt to go it alone. Remember, the kindest, dearest people you'll ever meet are in this together. Banish all words like guilt, fear, shame, and blame. Look the enemy straight in the eyes and ask, wouldn't you rather just work this out? Times like these have changed the heads of many, and even some of the hardest heads can learn the wisdom of following the heart. I would end with Che Guevara's warning. Quote, the true revolutionary is guided by great feelings of love. Large amounts of passion and audacity will be required. Thank you so much, Barbara Dane. We look forward to the publication of this book, and I hope you're going to keep us informed where we're going to be able to find it. Oh, I certainly will do that. And the trick is to finish the Delgon thing. You know, it's been about five years getting up to 1970-something, and... And I think it's important to tell these things. I've come to the realization that I really should just slog on and keep doing it. Absolutely. Uh, because I think, I think I just have to keep going and I want to keep doing it till I get to the end. So glad to hear it. I'm looking forward to reading it. You've been listening to Barbara Dane, jazz, folk singer, blues singer, activist, record producer, who has just celebrated her 90th birthday and is writing this marvelous autobiography. I hear you have an upcoming gig. Would you tell us about that, please? Well, yes. Uh, how many other 90-year-old ladies are doing a concert at SF Jazz? On July 13, coming up very soon, I will be at this SF Jazz uh, building in their main auditorium. Go to my website, and you can get all the details there. The website is Barbara Dane. Dot net, net and you'll find SF Jazz, uh, the gig, July 13th. And I will have with me Tammy Hall, a great, great pianist, everybody's favorite vocal accompanist, Ruth Davies on bass, powerhouse, and a new drummer to me. She is incredible. Daria Johnson is her name. And then my son Pablo is coming up from Cuba. He'll be playing some blues harp, and he always adds a great note to the whole thing. And special guests, the Chambers Brothers. Well, they're not going to do their rock things. They're going to do what we recorded in the 60s, which was some of the old freedom songs. We're going to harmonize those gospel style, and that'll be the concert. I really would love to have everybody there. I'd love to see my old friends and get together and be able to greet you and it's just going to be a wonderful night. Looking forward to it. The details are on the net website. Thank you so much, Barbara Dean. Nina Serrano, thank you for being and for having this program forever and doing all these great interviews with people. I listen to it and I get so much information. I, I'm so proud to be on the show. Thanks again. It's been a pleasure. This has been Nina Serrano for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, to hear other programs, poems, and a listing of my upcoming events. Thanks for listening.
Make a smart investment. Support KPFA Radio today. We make the most of every dollar donated by producing truly independent news, analysis, cultural, and public affairs programming. You are essential in keeping that information flowing and KPFA on the air. Invest today. Become a member or an ally as a monthly sustainer. Online today at kpfa.org. And we promise to stay as vigilant as always. A human rights lawyer who has written the plot to scapegoat Russia, Dan Kovalik, believes this anti-Russian campaign is one of the biggest fake news operations in all of U.S. history. He'll be throwing down an instructive challenge to mainstream media in Berkeley on Thursday evening, September 7th, 730 at St. John's Presbyterian Church, 2727 College Avenue. There's free parking and wheelchair access. Flashpoints, Kevin Pina will host. Tickets at brownpapertickets.com and support.